Um, we've been on a bit of a journey the last two months about our core values, and so um, it's a series called At Our Core. This morning, we are on our eighth core value, which is actually the first value and the third value of our four core values. Yeah, if, if you're lost at this point, it's not just because it's your first Sunday, it's just because you heard me actually say that sentence. So here's what we're going to do. Before we dive into this eighth value, let's kind of recap, if we can, um, where we've been to this point. Um, we have four values that we call our core four, and, and those are the words that you see listed behind me. Um, our, our four core values are this. We value the undeniable message of Jesus. We value the unbreakable body of of Jesus. We value, today we'll start on the uncontainable kingdom of Jesus, and in a few weeks we'll start talking about the unexplainable worship of Jesus. I mean, we kind of touched on that this morning because you get this many people into a room and we start singing songs about how he's overcome, and I'm just sitting here listening to you guys sing, and I mean, I'm overwhelmed every single week with how good you sound. I'm not surprised, I'm just overwhelmed and how good it sounds. And it, don't you sense that in your spirit? It's like you just want to, it's just alive in here. It's the unexplainable worship of Jesus. So there's a lot of stuff to remember. And, and obviously, you know, we've talked about biblical truth, communication, your story. You know, that last song, we, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. You have a story to tell. We've spent some time talking about that. We've, we've talked about authentic relationships, about spiritual legacies last week we talked about genuine hospitality there's a lot to remember way more than you can write down at any one time and so um, let me just say one more time the website is not just a place to go just to hang out and do stuff it's, it's a resource for you um, all of the outlines that, that I teach from that we preach from they're all on the website you just go there um, go to that get the gathering click on the current message series tab and every one of these outlines are there all the core values we want you to print them out we want you to to breathe them, sleep. We want you to put them under your pillow. We want you to wake up in the morning and pull them out. We want you to look up all the scripture verses that are in there. Man, we want you to get this. This is who we are, okay? So it's there for you. So take a deep breath. This morning we start on our third of the, of the core four, which this morning we start talking about the uncontainable kingdom of Jesus. Um, before we get to that, we got to just cover. It's going to be a really long introduction, okay? So if you got your sheet of paper, do me a favor and flip it over to the back. Because anything I say right now, you just want to jot it down on the back, okay? Because we're not even to the blanks yet. We're getting there, all right? Here we go. A couple of things to keep in mind about the uncontainable kingdom of Jesus. Number one, God is into things growing. All right? I'm just going to state it again. God is into things growing. Seems fairly obvious, but if I was here this morning teaching you in a diaper, things would not seem to be natural. Is that fair to say? God's into things growing. It is the order of life. We have babies, and they grow out of the stage where you have to change their diaper. That's good, right? Right? Yeah. We don't want to keep changing diapers, right? So God's into things growing. Just a couple things to write down. He's into things growing spiritually, Ephesians 4.15. He actually says that one of my roles as a pastor is to equip you so that we may, the Bible says this, in all things grow up. So he's into us growing spiritually. He likes his kingdom to grow too. Isaiah 9.7 speaks about God's kingdom as something that is always growing 
And I'm paraphrasing here. It says he's pretty pumped about it. If it's possible for God to get stoked about something, he's stoked about his kingdom growing. That's what Isaiah 9, 7 says. In Matthew 13, 32, Jesus describes his kingdom like this. He says, my kingdom is like this really small seed that if you plant it in the ground, it grows and becomes a really big tree that birds can fly to and sit in and rest in their shade. So it starts really small, but he's into it growing. Okay? So far so good? No, I just wanted to pause and listen. <laughs> so, listen, God's twice in the book of Acts, we read about thousands of numbers being added to the church at one time. Acts 2.41, Acts 4.4. So clearly he's not opposed to growth, and so we also value it too. Not just any kind of growth, but uncontainable growth. Acts 2.47 says that the Lord added to their number daily. So here's the second thing. God's into counting. There's a book in the Bible named Numbers. He's into counting. So we also are into counting, not out of pride's sake, but here's why. Because we would like to know um, where the sheep are. There's a parable about Jesus. He tells this parable about a shepherd who suddenly realizes, I had 100, now I've got 99. How did he know that? Because he was out there going, look, I was a youth pastor for 20 years. I've done all my youth pastor trips to Carowinds. I get head counting, right? Let me tell you a real quick story. This is why you count heads. I don't know if, if this person is going to be watching later on the video, but this is about you. We're at Carowinds. We took our youth group there, and I mean, I count heads all the time. I'm like, look, get in groups of three, four, whatever, go out, but meet back here, and we have like... 20 check-in times during the day just to make sure and you count them all okay good going back out again come back kind of again well at the end of the day we're we meet for the last time and i'm one short and it's a visitor and i'm freaking out because as a youth pastor you don't want to call the visitor's family and say i don't know where your kid is so we kind of wait a little bit, and I'm like talking to the guys. I'm like, y'all were, in, y'all were supposed to be in groups of four. Like, why weren't you together? Well, we were on this ride, and we came off, and we looked around. He wasn't there. Okay, but that was like at the last check-in. That's like two hours ago. So, I mean, why do you not know where he is now? Great. So we started walking. We walked out of the park. I mean, my, I'm just I'm sunk. I'm walking out of the park. I have these visions of my name in the headlines, you know, and how this kid's been, a, he's been taken, and he's never returned, and it's going to be on America's Most Wanted, and they're going to show his picture and my picture, you know, get out to the car, we wait a few more and so we're there waiting about an hour after the time we're supposed to leave, and I just put off the phone call as long as possible, and I finally pull out my phone, dial the number, and his mom says, hello, um, ma'am, this is Paul Jenkins, I'm the youth pastor, and your son came to Carowinds with us today, and I really hate to make this call, but I don't know where he is. She goes, oh, he's right here next to me. He is? Oh, yeah, yeah, he got tired and called me about halfway through the day and asked me to come pick him up. And then I went from being really sad to being really mad. <laughs> anyway, it's good to count, right? It's good to know where people are. And so when you come in here, especially like on a day like today, and you, you turn around and maybe you see Renee and she's doing this. 
The first thought is, oh, these people are all about numbers. And then the second thought is, kind of. Because I like to know where my family is. As a matter of fact, my guess is, if Kevin's mom had known that principle, Home Alone would never have happened. <laughs> what blew my mind about that movie then, and what still blows my mind about the sequels they made since then, is that she didn't know where her kid was. I mean, how do you not know? I mean, we get in the car all the time. Uh, Parker, Will, Sydney, Sydney, Sydney. And she finally goes, I'm, I'm here. You know, I mean, you've got to know where people are. God is into growth. And he's also into knowing where his children are. The shepherd left the 99 to go get the one because he knew one was gone because he counted and got 99. So when you see us counting, trust me, it's not because we think we're all that because we're not. We're just people trying to serve Jesus. But we do believe this. The greatest resource God will ever give the gathering is you. It's not your money. It's you. And so we want to know, how are our children doing? How's God's family doing? He's into counting. The last thing that he's into before we dive into Luke 5 is uncontainable growth is not necessarily the same as explosive growth. Okay, so, um, yeah, we talked about Acts. There's two times in Acts when he added 3,000 and 5,000, but he added to their number daily, and it's not always about explosive growth. Now, our value, if you want to flip your sheet around and fill in this blank at the top, is this. We value uncontainable growth. We expect and prepare for the Lord to multiply his kingdom exponentially through us. So let's just talk real quick about um, multiplication versus addition. Take a deep breath. I know. We're in, now we're in math class. Is this terrible or what? Like, this is Sunday, dude. I'm on break. Here we go. Multiplication versus addition. You need to get this before we start talking about Luke 5. You can turn to Luke 5 now if you want to. The most uncontainable growth happens over time through multiplication as opposed to rapidly through addition. Now, let me give you a bunch of numbers. You ready? Here we go. Quick math illustration, and then we'll turn to the passage. If you add daily, you grow quickly. If you add daily, you grow quickly. If you multiply regularly, you grow slowly to a point, and then, like, it takes off. Here's the numbers. You ready? Get your mental calculator out. Just checking. I see smoke coming out of ears. This might not be good. It took Jesus three years to disciple 12 men, right? And we know that Judas eventually was no longer, but just for the sake of the, the math, let's just say it took him three years to disciple 12 men. If he had simply added 12 men every day to his number over the same three years, so day one he has 12 disciples, day two, 24 36. At the end of three years, he would have had 13,140 disciples. That's a big group. Over the next three years, if his 12 had simply discipled 12 more, that's multiplication. He disciples 12, and then over the next three years, each one of those disciples 12. 12 times 12 is 144. So at the end of three years, he can have 13,140 or 12. At the end of six years, he can have, through multiplication, 144. But if he had added 12 continually every day, he'd have had 26,280. Who's winning? 
Addition. Addition is winning. Now, here's what happens. If the goal is to be explosive, all we need to do is add people every day. And we'll add them from anywhere we can. Hey, you don't like your church? Come with us. We're adding people daily. You'll love it. And we can start growing it. And people go, dang, what, what's the gathering doing? Like they're growing. So it's crazy. But if we take the time to multiply, if the goal is to be uncontainable, the slower process of multiplying eventually overtakes addition. And not by a small margin. Fifteen years down the road. Now, that's a long time, right? That's a long time to wait. If you were to do that same process 15 years down the road, you could have added 65,700 people to your church. Or, through discipleship, multiplication, you could have added solid people, totally sold out to Jesus, not drawn by the biggest, best, flashiest thing they've ever seen, but have actually been discipled, understand the word, you'd have 248,000 852. Multiplication versus addition. Give it just three more years, 18 years total, and the number that you would have multiplied would be just under 3 million. There's a lot of people in the world that are not reached for Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you right now, the way that they're going to be reached is multiplication, not addition. We want to take our time. We want to see God do something uncontainable. Through you reaching 12, 10, 8, you discipling someone who then becomes a discipler. That's why what we're about is being near God, near man, making disciplers. We don't just want to make disciples. We want to disciple people who then become disciplers. Because we want to see that. Now, obviously, we're not going to have a church in Stanley County in 18 years under 3 million people. I don't think. I mean, a lot of people would have to have a lot of babies quickly in Stanley County. Because there ain't 3 million people here. But we are solidly committed to the process of seeing uncontainable growth through the multiplication of God's kingdom. Does that make sense? Everybody take a deep breath now. Flip your sheet back over. Are you on the front side? Because here we go. If we're committed to uncontainable growth, it's going to cause us to rethink five areas. Number one, our plans. Now, we're in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So basically, huge crowd, two boats. Hey, dude, back that boat up in the water. Let me sit in it and I'll use that to teach from. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water. And let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. First thing, uncontainable growth makes you examine and rethink are your plans. Peter had no plan 
to go back out and fish again at all. He'd fished all night long. My guess is he planned to go home and have a nice breakfast, kind of chill the rest of the day. And instead what happens is he's got this guy showing up on shore, asking him if he can borrow his boat. So he has to, one, sit through the whole service, and then when the service is over and he goes, like some of y'all do when I'm finally done, you're like, finally, I can go eat. When it's finally over, they pull the boat back in. Jesus steps off, and Peter's like, thank you. I can leave. And Jesus walks over and goes, oh, hey, by the way, before you do that, let's go throw your nets out. He had no plans to do any of this. He's tired. Let me say this, two observations about plans. One, God's plans rarely involve our convenience. They rarely involve our convenience. If it was that easy, everybody would do it, right? I mean, if it was that easy to have an uncontainable catch, everybody would be doing it. It's hard. It rarely involves our convenience. The ultimate plan, the one that involved God's only son on the cross, was inconvenient enough that even Jesus wished there might be another way. Matthew 26, 39. Now, Jesus was obviously very willing to go to the cross and die for your sins and my sins and to restore, the, you know, appease the wrath of God. But it was so inconvenient. He knew it was going to hurt so much. He actually said to God, if there's any other way, can we do it? God's plans rarely involve our convenience. So here's the second thought about this, about your plans. Open your eyes when you most want to close them. When you're the most tired. When you've given the most away, when you've had the most failure, Peter failed the night before as a fisherman. The last thing he wants to do is go try again. So open your eyes when you most want to close them. His power, according to 2 Corinthians 12, 9, is made perfect in our weakness. So our weakest moments, the times that we're most likely to plan downtime, may be our most successful kingdom moments. And I know this is true just as, I mean, this is a Christian. The times that I've been most tired, I've wanted most to just close my doors and push the world away. It seems like those are the times that God brings somebody along. And you're just, really, God, now? But when you step through that and you say, I'm open to what you might want to do here, you start talking to that person, ministering to that person, and they walk away and you're like, I cannot believe what just happened here. I'm so glad I didn't miss that moment. Because the most, the most uncontainable growth is going to come when we're the most tired. When, when we, our plans have gone horribly. He says, re-examine your plans. It doesn't mean it's not as bad to rest. Um, I was thinking about that. Jesus even took time to get away. But his time, and this is different than ours, right? We go on vacation to get away from it all. Like job, church, Jesus. TV, maybe, sometimes to get away from family. Hey, let's go to the beach. You get a house, and I'll get a house. But when Jesus went away, he actually, according to Luke chapter 5, 16, he got away in order to take time to pray so that he'd be more in tune. He's like, I just need to get away so I can be more with God. Sometimes we just want to escape everything. Jesus wanted to get where it was quiet so he could hear God even more clearly. It's not bad to rest. Even Jesus was, sometimes he was interrupted by people. Uh, Matthew 14, 13 and 14. This is when Jesus was grieving the loss of John the Baptist. 
And so he goes away to grieve, and he can't grieve because he sees the crowd. Now, can we be really honest here? Yes. If you're in that position and you see the crowd, your first thought and my first thought is probably this. God, where'd they come from? How did they find me? Where can I run right now to get away from these people? I am not in the mood for people right now. Like how all of us, we've talked about this before. You're at home. You're relaxed. You're kicking back. You got some sweet tea. Feet are up on the coffee table. You just sat down and the phone rings. And it's 10 feet away. And your first thought is not, oh, maybe I won the lottery. Your first thought is, who is calling me now? And that's just the way that it works. Jesus goes away to grieve, and he's interrupted by people. But his response was not, who's calling me now? Who's chiseling a text to me now? His response was, the Bible says, he had compassion on the crowds. And I'm convicted by that. I don't always have compassion on the crowds. Sometimes I'm just like, get the crowd away. I just want, I just want my downtime. I'm just telling you, if we're going to be a church that values uncontainable growth, our downtimes are going to be interrupted. They're going to be interrupted by Jesus sending somebody to us because his kingdom is always growing, growing, uncontainable growth. And it will interrupt your plans. The question is, are we willing to change our plans? And if we are, we can see uncontainable results. Number two, it, cha- it um, requires us to rethink our priorities. It's a lot like the first one. It's a little bit deeper, though. Here's, here's the different twist. It's one thing to change your plans, another thing to change your priorities. Peter knew how to fish, correct? He's a professional fisherman. He knew how to fish. He knew what worked. He knew what didn't. His knowledge was probably his greatest asset. So if you're going to put a priority on something, you're going to put a priority on your knowledge as a fisherman. I know where the fish are. I know when they bite. All this stuff. So Jesus walks up and says, hey, how about let that take a backseat to a new priority? Just simply obedience to the command of Jesus. Verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so. That was his only reason. Just because you say so. Because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And let me, it wasn't just obedience. Can I tell you a little history about how they fished back then? Jesus actually asked Peter to do something that went against everything that Peter knew as a fisherman. One, they were using these nets called trammel nets that were light. They were made out of nylon. They were light. And so at, in the daytime, the fish could see the nets and would swim away from them, which is why they fished the night before. So Jesus says, hey, first of all, I want you to go put your nets out. Why didn't you catch anything? I know, but do it anyway. And I want you to put those same nets out, the ones that you just started cleaning and that will probably rot and break if you use them again before you get the water off of them. And I'd also like you to put them out in the daytime, even though the fish are going to see them and swim away. I mean, I don't know. Have you ever ever had somebody that doesn't know as much as you try to tell you what to to do about the things that you know how to do? I mean, at what point do you just go, shut up? Do you not know that I know how to make coffee? Don't talk to me about coffee. I know how to make coffee. I am a coffee maker. Professionally. And it's better than yours. Peter changed his priority. His priority went from being right to being obedient. 
That's huge. Because if we want to be honest about it, Peter was right. It was pointless to do what Jesus was asking. And he obeyed anyway. His priority became obedience. And he obeyed, and when he did obey, honestly, his obedience was, they did it all wrong. They threw the nets out when they shouldn't have, where they shouldn't have, without washing them. I mean, they fished wrong. And God still honored it. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Even if you obey and you do things completely wrong, God will honor it. Because to obey is better than sacrifice. Now, I know I can talk about this all day long, but it's so much, so much simpler to watch a video and see how things go. So we got a video we're going to show you this morning that will illustrate it a whole lot better than I am. Into the house, I want to come talk to you, mono e mano. <laughs> See what he did there? You're oh, a play on words. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just take a minute. I don't want to take away from that pagan golf tournament that you're probably watching in there. But it did hit me when I saw the trashy secular Easter decorations that you have outside your house that you probably don't go to church to worship our Lord and Savior except for Christmas and Easter like 68.7% of the rest of the American population. Oh, you're my little man, please. None for the neighbors stay on track. Oh, oh, well, the reason why we're here is because we wanted to invite you to our Easter services at our church. Now, I've made the plan of salvation into these Easter eggs here, and each color represents something you've done wrong. What my dear wife is trying to say, when we leave on a Sunday morning to go to church, your car stays out in the driveway, which makes me know that you probably don't go to church unless you're holding a church service in there or something, but I don't think so. So how about you pack up your brood and you come with us to church service on Easter Celebration Sunday, huh? Okay, sure. I mean, my, my wife and I were just talking about where we would go this Easter, so sure, we'll give your, your church a shot. Houston, we have a problem. What's the matter? No one's ever said yes to us before. Oh, oh what do we do? Well, we just back away slowly, oh, all right? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> don't look at him in the oh, eye. Oh, he could take away your soul. Okay, okay all uh, right. Well, just leave the eggs in the mailbox. We sure will. Now, the big red one represents your sin. <laughs> it's the sin egg. All righty. <laughs> we hope to see you there. We'll save you a seat, okay? Really? No, that's just an intimidation tactic. <laughs> okay, toodles. <laughs> So obviously, even if you do it wrong, if you just obey, God has a way of honoring that. You know, that's probably, if we could do a seminar on how not to invite your neighbors to church, that would be it. What I love about it is that they said yes anyway. Because God just said to be obedient and go. Just go. Invite. Tell. He makes things happen when we obey. Number three, third thing you have to reconsider are partnerships. Now, partnerships are tricky things, right? Usually they involve stuff like legal teams, contracts, um, other things that can safeguard us in case stuff doesn't go quite like we planned. Um, but here, with uncontainable growth, the partnership was established pretty quickly. Um, there was just one boat and way too many fish. And so they start looking around for somebody, anybody, who can help. The uncontainable causes us to reach out for help. And growing churches 
are typically giving churches because it's really hard to, to keep what's growing so fast. I thought about that this week. I mean, our typical experience with churches is this. Because they're not growing. They're losing. And when you start to lose, you pull in. And make sure you don't lose any more. But, you know, I thought about, what, $640 million is what the, whoever wins the lottery is what they're going to get or how much they have to divide it with people that also win. Could you imagine somebody just come up to you going, hey, um, Brooke? Here's $640 million. I, I don't know what she's going to do, but if somebody gave me that, I mean, like, I'd pay my house off, and I'd probably replace my Taurus. And then I'd, I'd have a whole lot still left to go. I mean, I could, like, buy any building around here and put our church in it, and there's still, like, $587 million. At that point, I'm looking to have a pretty doggone big party. And I'm not looking to waste money, but I'm probably not counting. I'm just like, let's just have a party. Hey, invite everybody. Just come on, let's eat. Let's hang out. Let's go to Chuck Moorhead at 3. Let's buy Chuck Moorhead. <laughs> There's just something about when you have way more than you can handle, the natural response is... Come on, I just need people to help me enjoy this. And that's, man, they could have called out legal teams. Let's, let's develop an LLC and let's have all this legal stuff and I need you to sign it. And I don't know, when it's get somebody to document that you signed it. And then if you'll do all that and plus learn my three core values about fishing, then you can join my team and we can fish together. That's the kind of stuff you do when you don't have any fish. But when there are fish in your net and your nets are breaking, you find yourself reducing all of your partnership questions down to one. Do you have something you can do to help me? And they just, your partnerships become, they grow out of that. Man, we so want to see God move in such an uncontainable way that we find ourselves as a church calling up other churches going, can you help us? We got some fish for you. Special price for you. <laughs> we got fish for you. And just start giving them. Man, here's, here's a family. There's a family. We got a family. They're, they're driving all the way from Norwood. And they're tired. That gas is crazy expensive. And we just want to get here. You take them. I want to have that. I want to experience that. Peter experienced that. We do not partner because we think the pie is only so big. So we want to make sure we keep what's ours. But when you see it as a never-ending supply of pie, just like, dude, grab a fork and come on. Just start eating. Don't even get a plate. Just eat it right out of the pan. Four, our pride. There's something about the uncontainable that snaps us right into a John 3.30 moment. John 3.30 is where John the Baptist said, He must increase and I must decrease. And that's what we see in Peter. I mean, Peter was enough of a fisherman to know that everything they did was wrong. And yet when they start catching all these fish and their nets start breaking and they're calling their partners over and they're filling their boat and still both boats are starting to sink. I mean, at some point, Peter, who has got to be smart enough to recognize this is not possible. 
I had no hand in this. We like to think that we will experience uncontainable growth because we're just great people. And a lot of you are great people. Uh, probably all of you are great people. But we're not going to have uncontainable growth because we do something right. They had uncontainable growth because they simply obeyed Jesus. And he, <laughs> I can just see Jesus on the shore doing this like signaling the fish. And he's just watching them freak out. Where are these fish coming from? And they don't even see Jesus going. <laughs> I love that. Jesus is going to pull that off. He doesn't really need us. He just allows us to be a partner with him. He just says, go put your nets out. Go, go find people. Just love on people. And watch what happens. And I'll do something so uncontainable that you will find yourself, like Peter, falling on your face in front of me. Not just saying, oh Lord, only you could have pulled this off. But I'm a sinful man. I mean, the best I had got me a night of no fish. And you got me more fish than I could ever handle like that. Uncontainable growth causes us to rethink our pride. And the last thing it causes us to rethink is our purpose. And this is the best one of all. There are a lot of men and women who have done great things in the kingdom of God throughout history who were really good at other things besides preaching first. They were like successful businessmen. Um, they were successful athletes. They were the kind of people who could have gone and made tons of money in any other profession. But something happened, and God said, I want to use you to be fishers of men. He changed the purpose of their life, and they went a whole different direction and saw God do uncontainable things through their ministries, through their lives. That's exactly what happened to Peter here. Very successful as a fisherman outside of the night previous. But something about this catch opened his eyes to a new possibility. Sometimes it's the overwhelming sight of the uncontainable that burdens us. I don't know what burdens you. I don't know where you go in this city or in this town or in this county to walk around and you see people and your hearts move with compassion. I know where I go to see that. I know the groups that I'm around and, and I just go, God, there's got to be something you can do. And usually he says stuff like, there is. You going to be a part of it? Are you willing he looks at Peter and says, from now on, you're not going to catch fish anymore. I'm going to help you catch men. He changed the whole purpose of Peter's life, the uncontainable catch. Um, how many of you have been on a mission trip? Raise your hand. may not be a ton. That's a good number. Wow. Now, you'll, you, can, you could say this is true, too. When you go on a mission trip and you stand in some, like, little small hut and you hear them singing like they have, like, a really bad Yamaha keyboard... Or they have one guitar that ha should have five strings but now has four. And you just look at it and go, there's no way this is going to happen. And they start playing it and they start singing. And it's, it's not amazing to hear believers. You just hear them sing. When I go to India, I'm just overwhelmed by the crush of humanity. 
You know, the people that, one, they love Jesus, and then people that don't love Jesus, but they just need their arm fixed, and so they stand in line, and you say, just keep coming and coming and coming and coming. Put yourself in those positions, and it's really easy to get overwhelmed with how sometimes I waste my life here. We get involved in things that probably aren't that big in the greater scheme of things. There's something about seeing a lot of fish, a lot of people, a lot of need that makes you rethink the purpose of your life. Like, some of you are really gifted in singing. And to this point, the purpose of your life has been to get on American Idol, to get on the X Factor and win. And then all it takes is one time you grab the mic and you start to lead in a worship song, and you start to hear people begin to sing, and that one moment can change the purpose of your life. Suddenly, why would I want to settle for American Idol? I don't want to settle for the X Factor. (laughs) Any old fool can do that. I'm going to give my voice to Jesus. And that's how the kingdom of God grows in an uncontainable way. It makes you rethink your purpose. Last week when I was kind of putting the finishes, t- finishing touches on this, I was trying to watch a conference down in Texas and I couldn't get it because the buffering was, t- t- buffering just drives me crazy. The buffering was taking forever and so the guy that was doing it, he was, and he was actually a comedian, he was like warming up the crowd and I said like, can you believe it when people do? And then I had to wait, and then, you know, it finally started again, but it would skip past whatever the line was he was going to say, and it was horrible, so I just stopped. And then later on, about an hour or two later, I was, you know, back on the computer again, and I thought, I'm going to give another shot, and so I clicked it, and lo and behold, the buffering was working fantastic. And I saw this lady teaching from this exact same passage. And I was like, that's cool. And she was good. So she, I mean, I'm already in, I'm captivated, and she's talking about this passage. Priscilla Shire, great teacher. Go Google that name. Goodness gracious. You won't leave your, your computer. You'll just sit there. You'll never come back to the gathering, actually. You'll be like, I can sleep in with coffee and watch her. <laughs> Forget Paul. Here's what she said. She said she was reading that passage, and she thought, as she read it, that it says Peter just signaled to the, to the other boats. He just signaled to them. And he, she said, I don't know about you, but she said, you know, I'm a woman, so I'm thinking, why did he signal? Because, you know, why didn't he just go, hey, come on. Just come on over. Hey, help! And she said, suddenly it dawned on me. Is it possible that Peter was just speechless? She asked this question. When's the last time you saw God do something in your life that made you speechless? I want to be speechless. I believe that the uncontainable growth of God's kingdom leaves us speechless. There are Sundays, and we're just small potatoes, right? There are Sundays I'm in here, and I just, I just turn, I just watch people just keep walking through the doors like a clown car in reverse, and I'm speechless. God, it's how He moves. It's how he operates. I believe this. That if we give ourselves over to the uncontainable growth of God's kingdom, we will see increasing moments in our lives that leave us just like Peter. Speechless. Just like, get it as quick as you can. 
we will be the church in Stanley County that calls other churches. Could you please come hang out with us? We need people to give you. And not the people that we don't really want. <laughs> Churches are always giving people away. Please, could we help you start your church with this family? <laughs> Please, we're begging. We'll pay you. <laughs> Uncontainable growth. And we value it here. We want to see it. And we want to see it not through us doing programs, but through you. You go out every week. You're in the grocery store and you're at the gas station. You're paying. We talk about this all the time. It's amazing. Just, just hang out one Sunday. Just go up to somebody and say, tell me what God's doing in your life. And you will find people telling story after story after story of how God put them in really weird places just to talk to one person. That's how God operates. If you just say I'm willing, if you just say I'm willing to reexamine all these things in my life, my plans, my priorities, my purpose, just all the things in my life, God, the things that I had a direction I was going, but I'm willing to go somewhere different. Your life will count for more than what you thought it would. And you'll be the guy, you'll be the girl, who everywhere you go, the kingdom of God grows through you, multiplying, always, uncontainable growth. Last thing before we do communion. God... He does a really weird thing in Scripture. He takes the uncontainable and he puts it in a container. And I don't get that. So, can any of us contain Jesus? No. Uh-uh, we can't, right? But the Bible says that he takes Jesus and Christ in us is the hope of glory. Paul writes about how we have this treasure in jars of clay. <laughs> Look at the person next to you. That's a jar of clay, Right? They can break easily. Maybe not the best looking jar. Um, don't say that about your spouse if you're sitting next to your spouse. Yeah, you're not a really good looking jar. <laughs> Jars can get cracked. He takes the uncontainable kingdom and he puts it in a container. You know, we're in a position right now as a church where we're looking at a building. We're looking, hey, God, where do you want us to go? And here's what happens, okay? If you're not careful, you become all about the container. Churches do it all the time. Businesses do it all the time. It becomes about the container. And so once you get the container, you're like, oh, yeah, baby. But let me tell you, he puts the uncontainable in containers so that they can do one thing, so they can carry what's uncontainable to the world around them that needs it. Why is Christ in you as the hope of glory? So you can take Jesus to someone else who needs the hope of glory. Why will he put us in a building somewhere that we can actually resource and train and teach people so that they can come back on Sundays and we can be the best church ever? God, I hope not. I mean, no, let me rephrase. I hope we're a great church. But we want to resource and teach and train so that we can go take that. That's how the kingdom of God grows, uncontainable. This morning we're going to take communion. It just reminds me that ever since Jesus gave his life ever since he, he died on the cross and resurrected from the tomb churches have gathered to remember that day it just is another sign of the uncontainable growth of the kingdom of God it didn't stop with the cross and the tomb it started there it's still going and going and growing and growing 
This morning when we take communion, when you walk up to, to Larry over here, to me here, when you go to Jay back in the back, when you take that bread and you dip it in the cup and put it in your mouth quickly before the crumbs fall everywhere, remember what you're saying to Jesus is, I am willing to be a member of an uncontainable growing kingdom. I'm all in. That's what you're saying this morning.